Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Praise the Lord. I'd like to bring you uh, warm greetings from your sister church in Kona. Um, there was some, I guess, wondering why uh, the pastors decided to exchange today. Uh, just to let you know, uh, the pastors here on the Big Island, uh, we're really good friends. And uh, we decided that in order to foster and encourage uh, camaraderie and uh, familiarity and, and a sense of brotherhood among the churches here on the Big Island, we decided that we would exchange pulpits every now and then so that all the different churches can become familiar with the different pastors and the pastors familiar with the different uh, congregations. So that's the reason why I'm here. Um, I know you love Pastor Keala, I love the guy too, but uh, he's over at my church and uh, he's going to bless the flock over there with a message from the Lord. And I understand uh, two of your very good singers, uh, Janelle and uh, Michael, are over there with him. And uh, as every pastor has uh, wonderful people behind him, uh, as you see this morning, I'm not alone. I'm here with my Ohana. Um, my parents are here visiting from the Philippines, and uh, the singers you just heard this morning are uh, a very active group in our church. We uh, have Bible study every week, and uh, they have been such a blessing to my personal ministry and the ministry of Kona Church. So I'd like to thank you for having us here this morning, and again, I'd like to thank my Filipino Hana for coming out and supporting. Were you blessed by their music? Amen. Praise the Lord. And um, we will be foregoing the closing hymn at the end of the sermon, and we will have a few of the Filipino members uh, give us another special number. Um, can I invite you to please open your Bibles? Does everyone have their Bibles with them this morning? If you don't have a Bible with you, I understand there are a few Bibles there. Now, we're going to get into the Word of God. What do you say this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's go to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to be reading verses 22 to 32. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 32. If you're there, say amen. And he, that's Jacob, arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, the families, and sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had along with them. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the, day of break, uh, until the breaking of day. Now when he, the man, saw that Jacob was prevailing against him, the man touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with the man. And he, the man, said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the man said to him, or Jacob said, or the man said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. 
And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but what? Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he, the man, touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Let us pray. Our dear, gracious, heavenly Father, this morning, Lord, as we open your word, Lord, may you speak to us. We know, Lord, that these stories you have put in your word are not there for entertainment, but they are there for instruction. And so this morning, Lord, we ask that your voice speak to our minds and to our hearts, convict us of the truth herein, and bring that truth to bear heavy upon our hearts that it may bring change, true change, in our everyday life. We pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. About 1955, President John F. Kennedy wrote a book. It was a Pulitzer Prize winning book, and it was entitled Profiles in Courage. I don't know if anyone has heard of that book here, but it's a very popular book. Uh, it's covered in colleges all across the country. And in this book, President Kennedy talks about eight senators throughout U.S. history. Now, these U.S. senators were different. They didn't fit the usual mold because these senators were not afraid to stand up for what they believed was true and right. In fact, the, this, this book, Profiles and Courage, is actually profiles of men who were brave, who were courageous, and who showed integrity under pressure. Don't you wish our politicians were like that today? <laughs> but at any rate, when you, when you mention that word courage, it, it seems to be an abstract word, but yet when you hear stories of people who showed courage, all of a sudden that word courage becomes real, and you come to understand what it means. And you know, the Bible does something similar with the word faith. Oh, that, that five-letter word. Is it five letters? Yes, that five-letter word, faith. Short, but yet full of meaning. What is faith? Whenever I ask that question, we hear the textbook answer from Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, you know, growing up, I've read that a million times, and the question always came into my head, what exactly does that mean? Have you ever wondered that? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Pretty cryptic to me. In fact, it's all Greek. Well, it was originally, originally written in Greek, but even in English, it remained Greek to me. 
And so I began reading more of Hebrews 11, and I found that in that chapter, the Bible goes through stories of heroes in the Old Testament, and it goes on all the way into the New Testament, and it gives you little story pictures of what faith is. And as you read these stories, you begin to understand what faith means on a very practical level, what it means for you, what it means for me today. And as I was reading that chapter 11, there was a man mentioned there who I want us to focus in on today. His name is Jacob. Yes, um, I like that name, Jacob. In fact, I uh, did a baby dedication not long ago of a child named Jacob. He's Flory's son, one of our Ohana members. But Jacob, okay, is portrayed in the Bible not necessarily totally in his blazing glory. You know, you know, it's funny how when we talk about people who have died, we highlight all the great stuff about them, you know, as if they, they were perfect people. But we know no one's perfect. You know, in John F. Kennedy's book, sometimes you wonder if these senators went straight to heaven. They were so saintly in their portrayal. But the Bible doesn't do that when it talks about people. In fact, the Bible gives it to us straight, and it tells us the reality of the ups and the downs of God's people. Jacob ended up becoming a distant ancestor of Jesus Christ. But when you look into the story of Jacob, you do not find necessarily a bright story. In fact, you find a story of deception, rivalry, favoritism, and dysfunction. Jacob came from a dysfunctional family. In other words, Jacob came from a normal family. Now, now you know, if there's no such thing as a normal family, and if you think you've found a normal family, it's, you just don't know them well enough. The fact is, every family has issues. And Jacob's family was no different. But yet in this stew pot of all this negativity arises a story of faith, redemption, and success. Would you like to hear more of this story? Can you say amen? Are you excited to hear about faith and Jacob's story? Can you say amen? All right, here we go. I'm going to do a little background. How did uh, Jacob start out? Well, we know the story of his birth from Genesis, a few chapters back from where we read. Um, who was his father and who was his mother? Isaac and Rebekah were his parents. Isaac and Rebekah, or Isaac, was the son of Abraham. Okay, big, big guy of faith. Okay, so, so here we have Isaac and Rebekah, and they have children. Or, they, or Rebecca gets pregnant. And how many babies are in Rebecca's belly? Two. Two. And they jostle about, and, and Rebecca says, whoa, what's going on in here? And the Lord gives a prophecy. He says, there are two nations in your belly. The older one will serve the younger one. And, and it's a, it seems to be a cryptic um, 
prophecy, and we, you have to go back and read it for yourself, but essentially what you find is there are these twins in her belly. And when the twins come out, the first one that comes out is named Esau. And there's this other baby whose hand is wrapped around the ankle of Esau, and when they pull, when they pull him out, he's hanging on, and his name was Jacob. And Jacob's name, many uh, Bible scholars believe, means supplanter or deceiver. And it was interesting because that's what his life was about. You see, as, as Isaac and Jacob grew up, there was tense sibling rivalry. You know why? Because Rebecca liked who? Jacob. And Isaac liked who? Esau. They were playing favorites. And so there's this rivalry between the two brothers, and so they, they, they figure, okay, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna look out for number one here. I'm number one, he may think he's number one, but I'm really number one. We're gonna do it my way. And there seems to be all this deception stewing within the family. And there comes a day when Esau goes out hunting, or I'm sorry, he goes out to the field, and he comes home, and he's really, really hungry. And, and Jacob has already cooked a stew, a stew of lentils. And, and, and Esau, being the very impatient person that he was, he demanded that Jacob give him some of that stew. But Jacob, being the deceiver that he was, being the supplanter that he was, he said, look, I'll give you some stew if you trade me for your birthright. Now, what's a birthright? Does everyone know? Firstborn, in the culture of the day, as said in the Bible, it's usually the firstborn son who has the authority and inherits the, the bulk of the property of the family. So it was a position of power. So here's Jacob going, okay, I'll trade you food, give me the power. And what does Esau do? Yeah, sure. And he goes and he chomps down on the, the stew, but he lost his position in the family. Then things get worse. Esau realizes what happens, and he starts to really, really hate his brother. But the story gets worse. Esau now wants to plot to somehow get back at Isaac. Isaac knows all of this, so he runs away from home. And then he goes to his uncle, whose name was Laban. Laban had two daughters, okay, named Leah and Rachel. And Jacob laid his eyes on Rachel and he said, wow, she is the one for me. And she, he makes a deal with Laban. Laban says, Jacob, you want her? Put in seven years of hard work. Says, okay. Seven years, you got it. He works really hard, and then the seven years go by fast. When you're in love, time just kind of flies. And then the tent, the night of that tent meeting happens. And Jacob goes in, and he has the time of his life. Then the sun rises, and he realizes 
the girl in the tent is not Rachel. Who was it? It was Leah. His uncle duped him. His uncle deceived him. What goes around comes around. Jacob, who deceived his brother, now gets deceived by his uncle. And you see, the story gets worse. All this stuff is stewing. As all of this is going on, and in fact, the chronology here may not be just right because I'm jumping to different parts of Jacob's life. But when Isaac gets old, he's going to pass the birth, he's going to actually pass the birthright, the blessing, to Esau. And so he, he decides that he's going to have Esau cook something really good, and then he's going to do the blessing there. But then Rebecca, who likes Jacob, got wind of this. And she goes, Jacob, go out and uh, get some hairy goatskin. Put it, on your, put it on your arm. Your dad, you know, your brother is hairy. Your dad won't be able to tell the difference. So he puts on all this hairy stuff. And then the, Rebecca cooks this wonderful, wonderful meat. And then Jacob goes in and serves it to his dad. And the dad says, come here, let me feel you, Isaac, uh, Esau, and let me make sure it's you. And so he feels Jacob, and it's all hairy. He says, yep, that's my son, the hairy guy. And then he says, give me some of that great gamey stew that you like to cook. And so he tasted it, and he said, oh, this is it. Esau, my son, I shall now bless you. But who was under that hairy coat? Jacob. So the deception continues. And so Jacob is there, and he steals that birthright, the one that his brother voluntarily gave up. But he fooled his father into giving him the inheritance and the position of authority. Talk, you thought your family was bad? This family had it pretty bad. Because... Things actually got worse. But I want us to, to kind of stand back for a moment. And I want us to draw a lesson from all of this. I want us to look at, first of all, Isaac and Esau. Isaac loved Esau. And the two of them were teaming up. Isaac knew that God was going to pass the blessings of the Messiah through Jacob. He knew that but he still wanted to bless Esau instead. He was seeking his own will, not God's. Esau, on the other hand, knew that, you know, he was not docile enough, he was not responsible enough to take on the birthright, but he wanted it anyway. He wanted what he wants, when he wants it, and how he wants it. He did that with the stew, the lentil. You see, Isaac and Esau... They were pursuing man's will, man's way. When we look at the other side of this dysfunctional family, you had Rebecca and Jacob who were scheming. And they were scheming to accomplish God's will. Because both of them knew about God's prophecy. That the older will serve the younger. And that through the line of Jacob, the world would be blessed. But they kind of saw that things were not working out that way, so they devised a plan to help God accomplish his purpose. You see, Rebecca and Jacob were pursuing God's will, 
but in man's way. So on the one hand, you had man's will being pursued man's way. On the other hand, you had God's will being pursued man's way. And what was the consequence? They all got messed up. Everybody lost. Everybody was a loser. Isaac eventually uh, realized his mistake and he couldn't stand himself. Esau couldn't stand himself. Rebecca lost her favorite son because he ran away. Jacob got duped by his uncle. Everybody in the story ends up a loser. Why? Because they didn't understand lesson number one for this morning. If we do not do God's will, God's way, trouble comes back another day. Amen? Amen. Lesson number one for this morning, if we do not do God's will, God's way, trouble comes back another day. Now you see, despite all this human effort to change plans, God still had his purpose that he was going to accomplish, and man cannot hinder it. And so God continues to work, and he tries to bring something positive out of all this negative stuff. But you see, when, when we pursue our own way, sometimes God allows the consequences of our sin to continue, even though he's forgiven us. You know, I, I, my heart goes out to a man I know. He's been smoking for so many years. Finally gave his heart to the Lord, but he already had cancer. And he passed away. God, if I surrendered my sin and I repented, why didn't you take the cancer away? Sometimes God does do that. Sometimes he doesn't. But just because God is a loving and merciful God, it doesn't mean that he takes away the consequences of our decisions. Sometimes there's just cause and effect. A plus B equals C. And we can do nothing more than learn from our mistakes. And so lesson number one for this morning, if we do not do God's will, God's way, Trouble comes back another day. And so the story continues. Now we're going to shift gears. We're going to fast forward and see what happens with Laban and Jacob. Uncle and nephew. Jacob is there tending Laban's flock. And all, you know, he's now got two wives, okay, because he got Leah. And then he just loved Rachel so much that he put in an extra seven years of hard labor. Wow. I wonder if there are guys alive today who would do that. <laughs> 14 years of hard labor, and it gains him two wives. And a lot of sheep, and God blesses Jacob. His sheep multiply, Laban's sheep multiply, and eventually things kind of, you know, it's hard when you have two families living under the same roof. And so they decided to part ways. To make a long story short, Jacob heads back home. He takes his wives, he takes his sheep, and he's headed back to his homeland. But you know, in order to get back home, he's got to go through Esau's backyard. Esau has his property, but he's got to pass through it in order to get back to his homeland. And so Jacob is afraid. 
because it's payback time. As soon as Esau realizes that his brother is passing through his own backyard, bang! Gotcha. Jacob, you got me one, now I get you back. And so Jacob is really scared. And so what he does is he kind of says, okay, let me send a bunch of gifts ahead of me. So go, and, and he arranges all his assets uh, into waves. And he says, okay, if, if wave number one with 200 sheep or whatever, you know, go to um, Esau's backyard, he will say, oh, where's all this coming from? And the person would say, oh, your brother is following behind us. He's sending you all these gifts. And he does this wave after wave. And Jacob says, if I'm the last guy who passes, by then my brother would have already been impressed by all the gifts and he won't kill me, okay? And so what happens is he sends these waves, they cross the Jabbok River until Jacob is left alone. He's the last guy in the wave. But by then it's already nightfall and he's there by the side of the river Jabbok and he begins to ponder everything that he's going through. And just as he's doing all of this, all of a sudden, a man jumps out of nowhere. You know, I hate to admit this in public, but I'm still afraid of the dark. Because sometimes things can pop out of, out of nowhere. And that's what happened that evening. Completely dark, Jacob is there by himself, and all of a sudden, a man from nowhere jumps out and grabs him. And the two are wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. Jacob is fighting for his life. But it, it, it's interesting because Jacob is extraordinarily strong in this fight. And as he's fighting, he keeps this fight up all night long. And the man, this huge man, says, Jacob, you're actually winning against me. And so what he does is he touches what? Jacob's hip. And Jacob squeals in pain and he, 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 he continues to cling on even though his hip is hurting like crazy. And then he says, I will not go until you bless me. And in that struggle, as daybreak comes, finally the man blesses Jacob, and he disappears. And Jacob says, I saw the face of God, and I lived. My friends, let, let, let's, let, let's look at this a little more closer. If you were Jacob, how would you be feeling? Here you are, your life, you, you know you, there's a possibility that you could be killed. You know that all you did was wrong in the past. You're feeling the weight of your own sin upon your heart, and then somebody out of nowhere grabs you, and you're fighting for your life, and he asks you one of the strangest questions in the world. God is fighting with Jacob, and he asks Jacob, Jacob, what is your name? Do you think God didn't know Jacob's name? Does God know everything? Of course he does. So he knew this is Jacob's name. But yet he asks him, take, uh, he asks him, what is your name? And Jacob says what? My name is Jacob. Why was God asking this question? Because he wanted Jacob to ask that question of himself. Jacob, who are you? What is your name? 
And then he says, I am Jacob. My name means deceiver. I deceived. I did everything wrong. I know my sin. I, I, I screwed things up big time. Yes, God, it's me, the loser. But Jacob did something that we need to learn. As he, as he confessed his sin and he struggled with, he said, God, I am not worthy, but I will not let you go until you bless me. And God saw his faith and he touched his hips somehow that disabled him. And even in that pain, uh, Jacob struggled and he continued to cling to this, this, this angel, this God. And as we look at this struggle, we see that Jacob's name changes. His name changes from Jacob to what? Israel, which essentially means overcomer. It says, Jacob, you are a deceiver. You are a sinner. You are a loser. But today, Jacob, today your name has changed. Today you are an overcomer. And so we draw an important lesson that we can apply to our struggles as Christians in this life. Lesson number two for this morning. Victory doesn't always go to the strongest, but to the weak one who keeps on clinging. My friends, I don't know where you are in your Christian struggles this morning. I know that I've got my struggles. I know that I fall and I fall and I fall all the time. But God is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of second chances. And I refuse to let that grace go. I refuse to admit that I am going to hell. I refuse to admit that I am a defeated sinner because my Bible tells me Jesus has already won this battle for me. And I will place my faith in him. And you know what? I will cling to my Savior regardless of how much I fall. I will cling to my Savior until he blesses me. Because victory does not always go to the strongest, but to the weak one who keeps on clinging. Today, you and I are Jacobs. We are sinners beaten down in the battle with sin. But today, God calls us spiritual Israel. He calls us the overcomers. He knows that as we cling to God's mercy, he will bless, he will forgive us. The victory that he gained on that cross becomes ours. Can you say amen? Oh, my friends, are you struggling this morning? Has life given you the short end of the stick? Do things seem difficult? Do you wonder if you're saved or not? Do you wonder why you keep falling to that same sin over and over again? Do you wonder if you're ever going to get it right? My friends, if that's you, because that's me, we have to understand lesson number two. Victory doesn't always go to the strongest, but to the weak one who keeps on clinging. As we look deeper and more into the story, I find it peculiar that God would take his hand and somehow disable Jacob's hip. 
And I thought about that, and I thought about that. And you know what? Jacob survived this instance. But when it was all said and done, he could never walk the same way again. Throughout his life, from that point forward, he would have a limp. He would walk, but he would limp. And I kind of thought about that. Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Well, why, why did you do that to him? And a lesson became very clear. And that is because God, when you have a true encounter with him as Jacob did, begins to reveal your spiritual handicaps. There's a very important lesson here, and I find it to be true in the life of Christians. I find it to be true in my own life. I found it to be true in scripture. Lesson number three for this morning. The closer you are to Jesus, the more sinful you will feel, and the more you will need to depend on him. You see, Jacob, Jacob had to, had, he was in his full physical form. He felt independent. He would do things his way. But yet when his hip was, was disabled, he limped. He needed help. He was now humbled. And my friends, after having a true encounter with God, just like Jacob did, we will feel the same way. As you focus on Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, in the light of that beauty and that, that, that grace, God begins to show you the sin in your life. And you begin to realize that, oh, this was wrong. Oh, this is what I should be doing. Oh, this is what I shouldn't be doing. Oh, this is why that happened. And as you draw closer to Jesus, the holiness, the righteousness begins to expose the sin in our life. And the more sinful we begin to feel. The Apostle Paul, this guy's a champion of faith, but yet he's, when he talks about the chief of sinners, he says, I am the chief of sinners. This man who he would consider so holy was so close to Jesus that he felt like the chief of sinners. My friends, as you draw closer to God, you will begin to feel the weight of your sin. And that is to draw you closer to him. That is to draw you closer to the cross because you are a sinner. I am a sinner, constantly in need of a savior. By birth, I am handicapped. By birth, apart from God, I can do how much? Nothing. And so, like Jacob, who limps through his life, so we as Christians feel that we are beaten up and battered by the battle with sin, and we will need help, like a handicapped person. We will need to depend on God more and more each day. And you know, I thought, oh, maybe after going through this a few times, I would get the hang of it and life becomes easier. Well, to some extent, life doesn't get easier, but your trust in God grows. So that as things get more difficult, you begin to trust more in his grace and in his power. My friends, lesson number three for this morning. The closer you are to Jesus, the more sinful you will feel, and the more you will need to depend on him 
each time around. Amen? And so we've learned these three great lessons from a patriarch of old, a profile of faith. And we find that my favorite commentator, Bible commentator, says this. Inspiration faithfully records the faults of good men, those who were distinguished by the favor of God. The facts of their life are not glossed over, nor the sins of its chief characters suppressed. Their lives, these guys, with all their faults and follies are open before us, both for our encouragement and our warning. As though sometimes they were beaten back and recovered their ground and were blessed of God, so we too may be overcomers in the strength of Jesus. Jacob the deceiver had become Jacob the overcomer. You and I, sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, are overcomers. Amen. So today, as we contemplate these three lessons, lesson number one, if we do not do God's will God's way, trouble comes another day. Lesson number two, victory does not always go to those who are strong, but to the weakest who keep on clinging. Lesson number three, the closer you are to Jesus, the more sinful you will feel, and the more you will need to depend upon him more and more. My friends, may we take these lessons that we learned from that profile of faith deep within the pages of scripture, from the life of a man who was born a deceiver but became an overcomer. Today, that grace that made that transformation possible is available to you and to me. This morning, Jesus is here. He's a well in life. And he says, come, partake of this good grace and be an overcomer. Then you will understand what true faith is all about. Amen? Amen. At this time, I would like to invite our Filipino singers to give us a meditational hymn, meditational song in lieu of our hymn, of our closing hymn. 